Excellent. Well, we are going to be looking in Micah. Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. And I'm going to read from 6 to 16. 6 to 16. So you can find this on page 923 if you are using the Bibles in the chairs. Micah chapter 6, starting at verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Listen, the Lord is calling to the city And to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod and the one who appointed it. Am I still to forget, O wicked house, your ill-gotten treasures and the short ephah, which is accursed? Shall I acquit a man with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Her rich men are violent, her people are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. Therefore I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. You will eat, but not be satisfied. Your stomach will still be empty. You will store up, but save nothing. Because what you save, I will give to the sword. You will plant, but not harvest. You will press olives, but not use the oil on yourselves. You will crush grapes, but not drink the wine. You have observed the statutes of Omri and all the practices of Ahab's house, and you have followed their traditions. Therefore, I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision. You will bear the scorn of the nations. Let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we are so grateful for your word. Breathed out by you. Father, we pray that you would guide us in your truth. Give us discernment and wisdom through the power of your Holy Spirit. To know your truth. And to have our hearts and minds transformed by you. Through your grace and your mercy to us. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. This is a powerful passage of Scripture. Here we see a general refrain. You could find the same statement we find here in Micah 6. You can find this in Hosea. You can find this in Amos. You can find this in Isaiah. 
Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and on and on through the major and minor prophets. You have the same refrain here where God is speaking to his people with this main clear statement. I told you what it means to love and obey me. This is God speaking to them. But instead, you have looked for love in all the wrong places. You have substituted God for idols of desires of your flesh and mind and sought to have pleasure and comfort and security in anything of the creation rather than the creator. So this is a powerful refrain. And we see the consequences of that. The consequences are the destruction of Jerusalem and the taking away of God's people into captivity. But through it all, God makes clear, even though the people are unfaithful, he is always faithful. So we see that woven through. But in this passage, we see in particular where God is speaking out against the hypocrisy of his people who continue to have their sacrifices and festivals, their worship services and their gatherings, they continue to sing praises and go through all the motions of worship externally, yet their hearts are hard as stone. And they truly, deep and within, have no real care or concern, or love, or fear for God. And God says, enough. Enough. And that's a powerful moment when we find that with the prophets. When God finally says, you have come to the full measure. You have stored up for yourself the full measure of God's judgment. And now the judgment will come. So these are the shaking sober words that come to us in the prophets. When we look at this one, the key statement, the key word here we see back and forth is talking about pleasure, about pleasure. We see this in verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 talks to God's people. What shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? How is it that I or anyone can come before a holy and just God. How can we do that? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Verse 7, will the Lord be, and here's the key word, pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? So the key word there is pleasure pleasure. Here we see where God is challenging his people because his people have been seeking not after pleasing God ultimately, but pleasing their own fallen flesh, pleasing their own sinful desires and pleasing their own greed and lust and immorality. Where God's telling them, you have it all wrong. The only way that we can find life and love and truth is if First and foremost, we are seeking to please, not ourselves, but to please God. 
Everything is to God. Our love, devotion, and desire. So as we look at this, we see this is the continual issue for the people of God. And I take you to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Kind of the introduction for this chapter. Here we see this played out in such a clear display with Saul and Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting at verse 20. I'd like to read this little section for you here and, and use that as an introduction to get into the main theme of our passage. 1 Samuel 15, starting at verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. So Saul's saying, I did it. I did everything you sent me to do. Just before this, we see where Samuel comes. Samuel comes to find Saul and the people of God who went out against the Amalekites. But Samuel has this one question. He comes up to Saul and says this, Why do I hear the bleeding, the calling out of animals in my ears? How can that be? Because when God sent Saul and the people of God, he said this, you are to leave nothing alive. That God was bringing his full, complete judgment against them. No person, no animal, nothing should be left alive. So Samuel comes to him, and this was Saul's response. But verse 21, but the people, so Saul's pointing at the people, you've got to blame someone, but the people, this is like we're back in the garden where you see the, the blaming. But the serpent, first Adam says the woman, and then the serpent. Here we see Saul. So here's Saul, and he says, but the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen, the best of the things, here's the key word, devoted to destruction. So Saul knew what God told him to do. But they decided they thought they knew better than God. Or they thought they could do something better than what God clearly told them. To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So here Saul is literally saying to Samuel, I know that you said we should leave nothing alive, but we've come up with a better plan than what God told us. This is literally what Saul's telling We've come up with a better plan. Our plan is not to destroy everything, but save the best. And you know what we'll do with that? Especially seeing how you're here, Samuel. We're going to offer all those things to sacrifice to God. Wouldn't that be better than just the original plan that you gave us? And this is verse 22. And this statement in verse 22 is the statement we see this is the bell we see clanged throughout the major and minor prophets. And we see Jesus himself 
when he comes into Jerusalem, he grabs the hammer and he slams it against this bell again and again when he's dealing with the scribes and Pharisees and those who are in control of the temple and the courts. Verse 22, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey, this is it, is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. So Samuel gets at the heart of it here. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption. There's the key word, presumption. Saul and the people of God sent, they presumed that they knew better than God, that they could come up with a better way than God. They presumed that because they were God's people, they didn't have to fully obey God. They could just do it to a certain point, but the rest of it they could take care of themselves. This is presumption. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I, here it is, feared the people, not feared God, feared the people and obeyed, not the voice of God, obeyed their voice. So in this one section, this one moment in the Old Testament, we see what it is to be guided by presumption, to seek to do things our own way rather than the clear way God gave us, for our own personal benefit, for our own personal pleasure, not only out of our own greed and desire, but also out of fear, not of God, but of other people. So everything is here in this, this little section of Scripture, this little moment between Samuel and Saul. There you see the foundation of obedience versus disobedience. And here we see disobedience wins out and we see that 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 shows the beginning of the cracks in the foundation that god has built that will bring the people of god tumbling down jerusalem will be destroyed the people will be taken into captivity it's very clear that god's people cannot fulfill god's law perfectly and this is where we see that so graphically display so if you hold on to those terms that we saw in first samuel 15 those terms of obedience versus sacrifice those terms of rebellion presumption and fear if you keep hold of those words and we go into micah chapter 6 you'll see those same words woven through this entire passage that same understanding so the first point I have, and on the back of your bulletins, there's an outline you can follow along with different references and that. But the first point is this, pleasing the Lord with worship and life. 
That's what we see the people still doing during the time of Micah, during the time of Isaiah, during the time of Jeremiah, all the prophets. The people are still externally wearing a mask of devotion and obedience to God. When truly, for the vast majority, their hearts and minds were far from God. They were worshiping idols of their own making or idols of those of the nations around them. And their hearts and minds were not in complete devotion to God Almighty. And that's why God says enough. In verses 6 through 7, he makes clear it doesn't matter how many burnt offerings. It doesn't matter how many thousands of rams. It doesn't even matter if they were to give to God ten thousands of rivers of oil in this external superficial worship or sacrifice to god none of that matters if within their hearts there is still injustice greed and desire for sin here's where we see god clearly speaking through micah enough with the pretending I know your true heart. It is exposed. And God exposes it in this time. God even goes so far in chapter 7. He says this. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Here's where God shows how far the people of God, how far the people of Israel and the people of Judah how far they had wandered from God that they were even sacrificing their own children to idols. And that's lifted up. That's as far as you could get from God is to actually sacrifice your own child to God. That's why it ends with that. He's lifting it up as that is as far as you can go in your disobedience and wickedness. We see that in Ezekiel. Ezekiel lifts that same statement up. Ezekiel 23, starting at verse 37. For they have committed adultery, and blood is on their hands. With their idols they have committed adultery. And they have even offered up to them for food the children whom they have borne to me. That's what God's saying. Every child is his. To take that child and offer it to an idol, that's, that's as far as you can go from honoring God and seeking after him. And God makes clear in earlier passages in Jeremiah that he didn't, that isn't even something that was within his thinking. Never did he ask or require or even come up with that that you would sacrifice your child before an idol in that way. To highlight how much disregard the people had for his truth. So we see in verses 6 through 7, where God is making clear, you cannot offer your child to Moloch or to Baal. You can't offer your child to a false idol and then go to the temple and give thanks and praise and worship to God. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because 
God has made it clear what he desires, what pleases him. And this is verse 8. If you look at verse 8 of Micah 6, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness. And here's the key statement. And to walk humbly. There it is. To walk humbly with your God. That humility, within that humility of walking before God, there's no room for presumption. There's no room for entitlement. There's no room for rebellion when you're talking about walking humbly before God. There's no room for, well, I think I'll do this my way. Or I think I'll come up with my own plan here. Or God, I know you said this, but I think I'm going to add to that or alter that to meet my desires. (laughs) there's no room for that in walk humbly with your God. And verse 9 explains why. It explains why. It says this. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. This is where we are called by the prophet to have a holy, reverent fear of God Almighty. Not to fear the people. Not to fear the people. But to fear God Almighty in a holy, reverent way. Lifting Him up. We can see where this is such a counter to what takes place with Saul before Samuel in 1 Samuel. God did make clear to the people what He desired. You see this in the section of Scripture of Deuteronomy 10. I encourage you sometime today or this coming week to turn to Deuteronomy 10 and read that chapter. And you see where God lays out for the people clearly what He desires of them, what He wants of them. Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting at verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. What's so powerful about Deuteronomy 10? It talks about obedience to the law, It talks about obedience to all of God's statutes, to give Him all your heart, soul, and strength. And then verse 16 has a powerful foreshadowing. It's pointing to something that will take an effect in the future. It's pointing to a new covenant that the people can't fully understand or grasp at the time. In verse 16, it says this in Deuteronomy 10, Circumcise therefore of your heart and be no longer stubborn. He says they need a new heart. So God's showing, He's showing them what they must do to be obedient to them, but then He's showing how they will fall because ultimately we need a new heart. That's because we are all as the people of Israel, as those to whom the prophet Micah was 
prophesying to, we are all under the curse of God outside of Jesus Christ. For none of us have obeyed the law perfectly. And if you break, break one part of the law, you've broken the entire law. So here we see where the prophet Micah not only speaks to the people of God in Judah or Israel, the people of God who are about to experience judgment and condemnation as the major and minor prophets speak out, but here we see where God is speaking to each and every one of us through his word that all of us need a new heart. We all need that. And that's what Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ is the only one who came and was not a hypocrite. He never wore the mask of obedience and love of God, but his heart was turned toward other things. So Jesus, in his complete obedience, would go to the cross to be the perfect lamb who was slain, to take the sin of his people, to take the full wrath of God and his justice so that we who believe in Jesus Christ would be new and be forgiven and have a circumcision of the heart to take that old heart of stone of rebellion and presumption and pride torn out and a new heart of flesh, of love and desire of God above anything transplanted in. That's the heart surgery of the gospel. That's the salvation we need. And that's where the prophet calls each and every one of us to our utter need of Jesus Christ. The purpose here of the prophet Micah was to call out to the people judgment, but to have them realize that they need God. This fake worship isn't doing anything for them. What they need to do is throw themselves before God and cry out, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the cry that God is saying he will listen to. Not give us your attention because we presume as your people. (laughs) That isn't getting them anywhere. So we see where God continues on in verses 9, 10, 11, and 12. He explains why he is displeased with them. They thought they could, give, they could please God through continuing with their external worship while their hearts were far away from him. But we see in verses 9, 10, 11, and 12 where he lifts up his great displeasure. He is going to bring the rod of his judgment against them, they will be destroyed. And he explains this in verses 10 and 11. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? Shall I acquit the man with, and here we see some of the practices, wicked scales and a bag of deceitful weights. Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies. Their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. We see here what's happened throughout throughout this time where the widow, where the fatherless, 
where the sojourner, the traveler, where the weak, anyone who was vulnerable, rather than the people of God supporting and encouraging and lifting them up, was devouring and preying on them, exploiting them, doing anything they could to take from them for their own personal gain. Even with false scales and false weights and manipulation and corruption. There was no justice in the courts. There was no justice in the marketplace. We even see during the time of Jesus, there was no justice in the temple courts of the Gentiles where the people were charged unbelievable sums to buy sacrifices because the priests said they were only accepted if you bought them there. And then when they'd exchange their money in the court of the Gentiles, the exchange rate was unbelievable. It was all an opportunity to prey on the people rather than to lift them up to prayer and worship of God. And here's where we see where Mike is calling out that every part of the social, economic, religious structure of the people of God was of corruption and nothing but corruption. And the prophet's saying that's a clear sign of your pleasure is being sought in your own personal gain rather than devotion to God. God calls us to honesty. God calls us to walk in his ways. God calls us to lift up the weak, the widow, the orphan, not to devour them and feed on them. God is setting out his displeasure with such corruption. So when you see God's displeasure, the third point, verses 13 through 16, lay out God's just judgment. This is his just judgment. He is going to tolerate this no more. Verse 13 talks about this. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow and make you desolate because of your sins. And then verses 14 through 16 is just a way of saying this. So you've built these nice big houses through your corruption and greed. Well, they're going to be destroyed. You shall eat, but not be satisfied. There shall be hunger within you. Verse 14, you shall put away, you shall store up treasure for yourself on earth, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have went the way of Ahab. Remember what Ahab did? It's one of the most saddest moments in the Old Testament. Naboth had this beautiful vineyard. Oh, the grapes were lush. The ground was fertile. He looked at it and he wanted it. So he went to him and he said, I want your vineyard. I'll buy it from you. And what was his response? I, I, I can't sell this. This is, this is the property of my people passed down from generation to generation. This, that would not be right. So he goes back and he throws himself on his bed in weeping and pity on himself. 
And Jezebel comes and says, what are you doing? Don't you know that you are the king? If you want it, you just take it. So Jezebel sends a letter and says, have him accused. Pretty much of blasphemy. And have him stoned. And Ahab got his vineyard. It's the highest degree of corruption that you can imagine. Hunger and desire for oneself rather than what is just and right amongst the people. And that is the charge God is leveling against his people. If you walk in the way of Ahab, you will meet Ahab's end. And that is not a pleasant end, to go the way of Ahab and Jezebel. So through this all, we see the call to have circumcised hearts. It's amazing to me that through the history of the church, there are times where the gospel, that ultimately the main need we have is of forgiveness, the main problem we have is our sin, and the main answer and wonderful thing we could ever receive is God's forgiveness. Somehow, at times, the church forgets that and replaces the true gospel with other messages. And one of them we see is a corruption of social gospel, where everything becomes social justice as an end in itself. But here we see for the prophets, and here we see in the Bible, the whole purpose of lifting up justice is a way to call sinners to salvation. Is to call us to repentance. And to lift up God who is just and holy. The reason we speak of such things of justice is to point to the cross of Jesus Christ. And the need of all of us to have a new heart and a new mind and to walk in the ways of God. It isn't just for the people of God in the Old Testament. It's an amazing thing. The Apostle Paul warns the church. So now this is us. He warns the church. And in warning the church in 1 Corinthians 6, this is one of his lists. One of his lists of, if you continue in this in an unrepentant way, you won't make it into the kingdom of heaven. This is a powerful list. So let's go here to 1 Corinthians 6. First Corinthians 6, starting at verse 8. And look with the sin he begins with. But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your brothers. This is corruption. Corruption. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Then verse 10, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers, here again is this use of deceit and deception, will inherit the kingdom of God. 
But oh, praise God for verse 11. And such were some of you. But, there's the key word in the scripture. But, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And Jesus Christ has come and circumcised your heart and taken your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh, a new heart of life and of belief so that you don't have to continue that life of greed and presumption and rebellion. You are new. Not just on the outside, but on the inside. That's the desire of a new heart. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the words of your prophet Micah. We thank you for how he lifts up the call to holiness and justice and seeking after you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Father, we confess to you that none of us, none of us can do anything to bring about our own salvation. We are completely dependent on your love, on the work of your Holy Spirit to make us alive, to trust and believe the redemption for us in the cross and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, to walk in humility before you. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.